Welcome to the Arate Podcast, the podcast created to help senior executives and the organizations they lead live up to their full potential. Join us for cutting-edge interviews with leading senior executive and board members across all industry sectors and for practical tips to accelerate your executive career. And now, here's your host, Richard Triggs. Well, Jeanette, uh, fantastic to have you along uh, on the podcast today. I think you and I have known each other, gosh, it feels like about four years. Would that be right? That would be right, yes. Yeah, so uh, and we've tried to do this a few times, uh, and uh, COVID and other things have gotten in the road. But anyway, uh, here we are today. So uh, to, lovely to have you along. Um, perhaps just to begin with, uh, Jeanette, just tell us um, about your current professional responsibilities. Great. Thank you, Richard, for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. My current responsibilities, I... Um, I'm the principal lawyer of a boutique corporate and commercial law practice. We have an office in uh, North Lakes in Queensland, but we operate locally, nationally and internationally. So mm-hmm. I've got a team of, I've got three other lawyers who work with me, um, an admin uh assistant and or office manager actually Uh, she does a lot more than an admin assistant um, and an IT manager and we've been operating for um, in the current sort of setup uh, since 2014. Mm -hmm. Um, We work mainly with people doing business online and have a real focus around that because I've done um, a lot in Mm -hmm. that sort of sector in the past and it's um, called onyx legal and uh when i was looking yes. at your website i uh, i really liked the uh the little backstory to you know you choosing the name onyx why don't you tell us about that uh we were my husband and i were sitting um down with some friends who run a uh, an education service teaching people how to build um website delivery businesses mm-hmm. and we were just sort of sitting down and brainstorming around corporatizing uh, what is now Onyx. And it sort of came out of that conversation. Uh, and I've got, I've got an interest in, you know, the natural world and how it works and mm-hmm. a curiosity about what different stones mean. And it just, it was such a good fit. Mm. Um, because Onyx is around protection and, you know, security in times of stress and that kind of thing. And I thought, well, that really fits what we do. Mm. We really help people protect their businesses. Um, so that's, it. you know, it's great sitting with other people and just, you know, brainstorming. Right. Uh, and that that's where it came about. Mm. And uh, I also like the fact that you're very... Uh, upfront about the fact that you you're sort of a, a law practice that's very focused on entrepreneurship absolutely yeah. well that's where we're at so in the team of lawyers that I have now the two senior other senior lawyers that work with me have both run their own businesses in the past um, so one of them has run you know takeaway joints uh, when she was very young, mm. at 19, she owned her first takeaway shop. Um, and it was fish and chips. And then she went into pizza and she's done a number of other things since. Um, and then my other senior lawyer, she ran a um, import and distribution furniture business. So they mm. used to import teak furniture from um, Southeast Asia uh, and distribute that nationally. Uh, so 
we we have a perspective on what it's like to run a business and how sensible you need to be and practical you need to be and not just throw up roadblocks of, you know, legally uh, it's difficult to do that or there's, there's these risks or, there, you know, we we know that that doesn't work. People mm. who run their own businesses understand their own risk profiles and they know what they're prepared, you know, where they're prepared to um take certain actions and self-insure and all of those sorts of things. So it's about working with people to achieve the solutions they want to achieve as opposed to throwing up roadblocks and saying, oh, no, that's risky. Right. Of course it's risky. It's business. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's, uh, it's refreshing to uh, have this kind of a conversation because, uh, you know, whether it's law firms or accounting practices and so on, you can often get the sense as a small business owner, that they are, you know, trying to, you know, curtail and constrain you rather than encourage and support you. So uh, that's wonderful. And, and Jeanette, um, you've also got some um, not-for-profit uh, uh, involvement as well, haven't you? Yes, I have. I have been chair of On The Line, which is a, um, we're a digital counselling outsource service provider so we we do the delivery of services like men's line australia suicide callback service 1800 respect and there's 25 services that we deliver mm -hmm. in that in that sort of genre and the the company is actually based in um, melbourne but obviously with covid part of our strategic plan moving forward was to enable more people to work remotely mm -hmm. uh, and covid accelerated that very quickly mm. um, and so our future strategy in that business is obviously to be able to have a workforce around the country so that we can you know effectively follow the sun uh and have people working at different times of the day and different shifts that fit more with, um, you know, demand. Mm -hmm. And it's a 24-7 operation. So mm -hmm. most of the services we deliver are 24-7. Uh, so we have that kind of, you know, workforce that can support that. Mm. Um, and that's I, that's been a really rewarding experience. And you've been on that board for about eight years, is that right? Yes, I joined the board in 2013. Um, I was appointed chair at the end of 2015. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, my board, uh, bless them, uh, were kind enough to decide that I should be paid as chair last year. Mm. Um, so I've actually been a paid chair for just over a year, okay. which was interesting. It's very hard to have those conversations and you've just got to sit out of them because... It, it's it's a humbling experience to to have that because it's a voluntary board. And when I joined mm. it, I I my perspective when I joined it was that the organisation needed someone who would drive it forward. Um, it had stagnated for a couple of years, and and I looked around the boardroom at the time, and I put my hand up to be chair because I didn't think there was anybody else there who who would put in the energy or the time necessary to mm. drive it forward. Mm -hmm. um, and my perspective on doing it was, well, it'll be a really good learning experience, <laughs> um, you know, and the organisation needed it. And since since then, we've the revenue of the business has increased by 88%. Um, we've done a complete rebrand. We've done a complete new strategic direction we're actually just about to do our second strategic plan five-year strategic plan um, we 
updated our vision, mission and values. Um, three quarters of the board resigned <laughs> uh, because I put some accountability in place um, and we now have a board that is quite diverse in terms of background and thinking. Um, we're 50-50 male, female. We've got um, some diversity in terms of cultural diversity as well as LGBTIQ representation. Um, you know, so I'm pretty proud of where the board is at now um, and very excited about the future of that organisation. Oh, that's excellent. I, I, I definitely uh, think that uh, not-for-profits, because traditionally they haven't paid their board directors, um, often get a lot of people who are on the boards because they have a heart connection uh, rather than necessarily a proper, you know, skills matrix um, and then a lot of the people who are on these not-for-profit boards uh, like the the prestige of being a board director. However, when they're actually forced to be accountable and actually have things that they need to achieve, um, uh, can go running to the hills. So, <laughs> so it sounds as though uh, you're doing some really fantastic stuff there. All right. So let's. Um, I'm really keen to learn more about your business. But before we get to that, uh, why don't we just go back to where it all began for you and tell us about uh, you know where you were born, mum and dad, brothers and sisters, and so on. Okay. Cool. Um, well, I'm a southeast Queensland baby. Uh, my father was. He's an ag scientist by qualification so he went to Gatton College and catches up with Gatton College old boys still on a regular basis mm -hmm. um, because of his training he worked with uh, DPI which was Department of Primary Industry and um, Golden Circle as I was growing up so I grew up all over southeast Queensland in rural areas like Gundawindi um, uh, we didn't live in Biloela but there were you know we lived in sort of outlying areas and then moved into um, Caboolture and Wamuran when I was at school. Um, so I've been to school at both Caboolture and Wamuran uh, and then sort of Clontarf and gradually moved into the city. And then as a high school kid, um, we moved up to Toowoomba and I did all of my high schooling in Toowoomba. Okay. Um, yeah. And so I, for me, Toowoomba is my hometown because right. uh, that was sort of the formative years when you really get to know people and, and get to know yourself. Um, in the course of, I've got a twin brother uh, and a younger brother, mm -hmm. both of whom, I, I introduced my younger brother as my little brother and he's six foot six. So right. that's always entertaining for people. Um, I'm, I, I'm fairly tall myself, but I come from a tall family and I'm actually the shortest of my siblings. Right. Um, <laughs> um, and in, in our growing up, um, we were all in competitive swimming. I Apparently, that was my fault. Um, I didn't realise how headstrong I was and persuasive as a child. But at 10, I decided I wanted to be a competitive swimmer. So the whole family got involved. My parents became president and secretary of the local swimming club and my brothers got roped into it and I didn't know they actually <laughs> weren't that enthusiastic about swimming until I went overseas as a 15 year old um, exchange student for a year mm. and they quit swimming while I was away and they didn't want to take it up again when I came back and I, 
I didn't realise they weren't as into swimming as I was. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and when you were at high school, did you have aspirations of being a professional, well, not, or not, you know, a, a sort of Olympic level swimming athlete? Um, I, I competed um, at a national level in three countries. So mm-hmm. I reached national level in backstroke in Australia, national level in freestyle in Japan and national level in butterfly in the UK. Um, I didn't, the only nationals I actually competed in were the ones in Japan. Um, And I made the freestyle final, but I took the week off beforehand. And instead of tapering, I went to a exchange student retreat for a week. So uh, I could have meddled if I'd done my taper properly, which my coach was a bit disappointed about, but you know, um, the opportunity arose to go to a, a, a collection of international exchange students, and I did that instead. Fair enough. And, uh, and when you were at high school, what did you think you'd want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a vet. Until I was 14, I was dead set I was going to be a vet. And then sometime in that year, I discovered how yucky things can be for vets. Mm. And I that put me off completely. You know, the whole idea of being a vet was, you know, petting animals. And mm-hmm. um, when I found out the reality of it, I, I, I had no idea what I wanted to do after that. Um, and when I got to my final year of high school, I knew what kind of um, score I was going to get. Um, it was a T score in those days out of mm-hmm. 990 and flicked through a QTAC book and went, oh, look, I could do Japanese language and business or Japanese language and law. And I applied for those and I got into law and I loved it. I just mm-hmm. loved it. So I stuck with it. And are you a, a fluent Japanese speaker? Uh, um I can speak conversational Japanese at a sort of probably a junior high, junior school level, mm-hmm. um, but not business Japanese. Right. And do yeah. you get the chance to use it very often? Um, Tokidoki. Uh, so only sometimes. Right. Um, I, I have a little app called Duolingo where I can practice my Japanese every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm still in contact with my host family in Japan. So mm-hmm. I took my husband to Japan a couple of years ago and we spent a month over there and caught up with my host family a few times. And um, so I'll communicate with them in Japanese on Facebook and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, okay. otherwise I don't practice it that much. Fair enough. And so, uh, what uh, you went to QUT, you obviously uh, yep. uh, got your qualifications. And, and so, how did your career roll forward from there? Well, I, I kind of took a detour in the middle of my qualifications too. So, I did my first year of uni and then I um, ran away to England for a couple of years and I lived over there in Nanid for two years. And when I came back, I came back. And got married and pregnant. So halfway through what ended up being my second year of uni, I had my son. Um, And then by the time I finished my uni degree, so I went, I did my undergraduate degree and then I did the practical legal training, which used to be a year's course at Mm -hmm. that time, and master's um, sort of all in succession and together and started work whilst getting married, divorced and having a child. Um, So I think I was 26 by the time I actually started in the workforce as a lawyer. Right, okay. Yeah. So uh, you packed a lot in. 
I I did in hindsight. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And so so, um, you started basically working as a lawyer as what a single mum. I did absolutely. Yeah. Well, that would have been a a formative experience. Um, I am eternally grateful to my parents who mm-hmm. had my son living full-time out in the country at Toowoomba mm-hmm. uh, while I was working in the city in Brisbane and I used to work um, while I was finishing uni I used to do uni like work I used to do it eight till six every day and then that was Monday to Thursday and then Fridays and over the weekend I'd go home to mum and dad and my son right. and um, then when I started work I'd had an agreement with my employers to leave on a Friday early on a Friday afternoon to get back up to Toowoomba. Mm. Um, and they, they looked after him for six years wow. while I started my career. Yeah. That's a, uh, you know, for a, uh, a mum, that must've been a, a tough choice to make to, uh, you know, spend so long away from your, uh, your son like that. It was, it was very challenging. Um, but it was also like, my mum is the, one person in the world I would trust with my child, Um, you know. So I at least had the security of knowing that he was safe and he was well cared for. Mm -hmm. Um, And that allowed me to concentrate on work. And it also made me very focused in that I did all of my, uh, you know, all of my networking, all of my study, all of my overtime I did when I was in the city Monday to Thursday or Monday Monday to Thursday, and then from Friday afternoon, um, I was a mum again. Mm-hmm. Um, and from Friday afternoon to Sunday afternoon, that's what I did. And it just, you know, it, it's a discipline um, that I was able to adopt and mm-hmm. it just allowed me to progress. And I know how challenging it is for a lot of women in the workforce who they have to actually take that time out. And I was just beginning Um, And that was sort of my parents' conversation with me was you actually need to start your career. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't not start your career um, because you may never start it if you don't now. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they were incredibly supportive. Fantastic. And what, um, what type of lawyer did you uh, initially start out wanting to be? Um, I I thought I wanted to be a family lawyer and then I did some work with legal aid um, and a couple of other bits and pieces and I just mm. went, no way, I can't <laughs> handle this. Um, it, uh, I'm quite empathetic and mm-hmm. it was so hard not to take on mm. that with people. Um, so I ended up going in to the commercial stream and I my first five years of practice were corporate and commercial litigation mm-hmm. um, which I thoroughly enjoyed and was very good at and I used to get compliments from barristers who would ring my um, managing partners back in the firm and say how because I used to do a lot of the advocacy myself um, in the courts and um, they used to ring the partners and compliment me um, and then I got to a point after about five years where I realized that there are better ways to help people than litigation. Litigation mm. is fantastic for lawyers. It's a lot of fun um, because it's point scoring and it's mm. winning and it's competitive and it's all those things. But the result for the client, even when they win, is it's cost them money. It's been incredibly stressful. It's been incredibly distracting and time consuming and all those things. And 
in the end, even when they win, it doesn't help, mm. you know, um, because there's a level of frustration and disappointment and everything about what they've had to go through to get to that point. Um, so I was fortunate to be in a law firm which allowed me to step across streams at that point and I went from the litigation team into the corporate advisory, um, corporate and commercial advisory team. Um, and I did that in that firm for about 18 months and then went in-house and I started working inside companies. Um, so the first company I worked in was the Australian Psychological Society. I was their first in-house counsel um, and that was a fabulous role. I thoroughly enjoyed that. I have a huge amount of respect for psychologists as a result of sort of seeing the inside of the way they work and, and what they do and how they support people. Um, and then Moving back, I, that was down in Melbourne, and then um, my husband and I moved back to Queensland in 2011, mm -hmm. and I joined Riverside Marine as their in-house counsel there for three years, mm. um, and then set up business on my own after that. Riverside Marine, I remember back in the day, was uh, quite a famous, uh, you know, Brisbane brand. Well, it's still it's still a very well-known Brisbane brand, but they do. They're much more industrial focused. So it's sort of, they have a reputation in, in that industry as opposed to the general populace, but they're still based in Newstead and mm -hmm. um, a, a respected brand and still owned by the family. Okay. Um, that was a, that was a huge learning experience working with them. Mm. Um, and I got a lot out of being involved in that company. Fantastic. And so what inspired you to, uh, to start your own uh, law firm then? Well, I had been, uh, I when I was in-house with the Australian Psychological Society, that was actually a part-time role and I had time on my hands and I'm very bad at doing nothing. Um, so I had, as a result of different networking groups that I was involved in and the fact that my husband is a computer programmer by training um, got involved in website building and all of that sort of thing mm -hmm. and through one of those networks um, had thought about well how do you how do you start working with people who are running businesses online when most lawyers don't even know what language um, they're talking and uh, one of my mentors uh, from one of the business groups at that stage said here's what you should do go and help people doing business online. So because I had time on my hands, um, I set up a sole practice assisting people in that area. Mm. And that was back in 2010. And I somehow managed to maintain that throughout the years. And even when I was working at Riverside, I, I mean, that's how my role at Riverside came to an end. I sat down with the CEO one day after I realized I was working seven days a week. He knew I had my sole practice on sort of side gig mm -hmm. um, and we sat down for a couple of days and he really sort of mentored me through the process and we jointly came to the conclusion that I was better to go out and set the business up and run it properly as a full-time business than I was to stay working with Riverside um, in terms of what that could do for my future. Mm. So after, that was um, the end of 2014. So at in the beginning of 2015, I finished at Riverside and set up Onyx full time, um, and have been ever since. And um, Onyx, uh, the way that you are structuring that business, um, 
which we've spoken about in Champions Forum and so on, uh, you, you try to create a very uh, unusual culture and type of practice as compared to most law firms. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. Mm. Yes. So tell us about that. Well, I my experience on law firms, and I've worked, I've worked from very small firms to top tier. Um, I didn't last long in top tier. I I just had a cultural misfit with top tier, mm-hmm. um, and I look at those environments and so often they're very toxic environments and I did not want that and I didn't think it was necessary to be that way. So when I started bringing on team members with Onyx, what I was looking for is um, very practical people who have a life outside of their work. Um, And it was very important to me, you know, we talk about a work-life balance. It was important to me to actually try and create that in the way we operate our business. Um, So Debbie was the first uh, team member that came on board with me and she lives the whole other side of Brisbane. She's on the south side of Brisbane. So we had already set up as a paperless cloud-based um, operation and although I had an office in North Lakes at that point in time the way um, I arranged it with Debbie she only came into the office once a week mm-hmm. um, and that's mainly because the commute from where she is to the office can be anywhere from an hour to two hours depending on the traffic mm. uh, and I just didn't see the point in requiring her to do the commute when I knew she could do the work from her home mm-hmm. um, and as a result of COVID and all of those sorts of things, she now actually only comes into the office about once every six weeks. Um, But I mean, we have team meetings on Zoom every Monday Mm -hmm. morning um, and we catch up. We have various communication methods. So we're always talking to each other, but um, physically she only actually now comes into the office once every six weeks. And she's got four girls. She's a single mum. She's got other focuses. So she does, the work gets done. You know, she has she has billable hours to do so. Well, she has a budget to work to every week mm-hmm. um, and she achieves that budget every week. So there's no requirement for her mm. to be here. Um, and it also means that, you know, if she's got things happening on in the week for the kids, she just lets me know that these times she won't be available and other times she will. And we work around that. Uh, and that goes the same for our office manager who happens to live, on, you know, in the same area. She comes into the office about twice a year mm-hmm. because otherwise she doesn't need to. And when she comes in the office, it's usually for, you know, some sort of function or photos or, you know, something like that. Yep. Um, uh, we've got another team member who actually lives in Mackay. So she comes into the office um, about twice a year as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, our, our junior lawyer who we appointed in the middle of last year, because she requires supervision for two years and the Queensland Law Society equates supervision with proximity, mm-hmm. um, she's actually in the office most days. But for example, last week when we had torrential rain, um, I, I'll look at the weather first thing in the morning and I go, I'd rather you weren't on the roads, mm. work from home today. Right. Uh, it's just safer. You know, um, and it's possible and it's feasible and it all works. Um, And I just, I didn't see the point in setting up something more restrictive than that. Mm 
Um, yeah, in my, uh, I think in that regard, our business is very similar. I moved to uh, my team being all home-based um, at the end of June 2019. So uh, because once again, um, coming into the CBD was um, a tremendous waste of time. It was very expensive uh, for people in terms of their transport or parking. And, and uh, I mean, it, uh, the world has caught up with us, hasn't, haven't they, Jeanette? Um, Absolutely, yeah. So uh, COVID in that regard, I think, uh, was fantastic for my business. Um, how did it affect you? Well, it actually didn't. Our business increased by 35% last year. Yeah. Um, so I put on, at the lawyer in Mackay and our junior lawyer, I put on in August last year because we couldn't keep up with the workload. Um, so, you know, that's, I think because we were already set up to operate that way and we were able to support people and so many people were moving online and we have such experience with working with people online that our business just grew and it hasn't slowed down. Um, so for us, COVID was not a bad thing. Um and actually, I should say, in terms of, like you were saying about office space being expensive, we share an office. So um, Spice Marketing are a digital marketing agency. They do a lot of work in the health space. So do we. Um, I've known Ellie Backer, who is the principal of that business for quite a few years. And a couple of years ago, we sort of sat down and went, oh, I'm looking for new office space. And we we're both looking for new office space at the same time. So now we share an office and we can't. Imagine not sharing an office. You know, um, she's got a bigger team than I do. Her people are in the office most days. And it just works because mm. it it creates broader thinking. Um, we can bounce ideas off each other in terms of different ways of running our businesses, but also our teams can talk to each other and have a better understanding of the different ways in which we work and the way we, ways in which we support our clients. And it's and it it's less expensive, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> and it works. Well, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, so uh, your firm obviously different culturally in terms of the uh, um, the way that people work with you and the flexibility and so on. And what about yep. um, the actual type of work that you do? Because once again, uh, you've got, you've positioned yourself, you know, quite differently, Um not only in terms of your target market, but also the way that you engage with your clients. Yes. Um, tell, us, tell us some more about that. Um, most of our clients come through referrals, but also uh, so probably the second largest sort of collection of clients are as a result of presenting that I do. Mm -hmm. um, so for the last... I don't know how many years, since 2010, I've been presenting regularly for different business groups and organisations on just legal aspects of, of business, you know, mm -hmm. copyright is particularly important for people doing business online, um, all of those sorts of things. So um, people know us through those kind of networks that I've been involved in and where I've done a lot of speaking. Uh, and I'm involved in a couple of networks which focus on supporting people in sort of digital workspaces. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's how we get a lot of attraction, a lot of clients, and we write contracts. I love writing contracts. It's very creative. Um, mm -hmm. We're very focused on trying to be as plain English as possible. So our contracts tend to be 
I can give a really good example. When I was working with APS, the um, the Australian government set up national registration of health professions in 2010. And the legislation came into effect in the middle of the year um, with no infrastructure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so all of a sudden, 250,000 health professionals around the country had to sort out their registration and didn't know where to go or what to do. Um, and the flow on of that was there was one legal person set up in APRA, which is the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Authority Agency, sorry. Um, there was one legal practitioner there and they were trying to get all of the legal legal sorted and they went to the accreditation agencies which are the agencies that accredit university degrees for people to become qualified and registered as health practitioners Um, and so through APS I was working closely with the psychologists um, accreditation council there and we were asked to submit a the type of contract that we would enter into with APRA for delivery of those services. And I was able to see the contracts from a couple of other health professions and they were ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one, clearly two I read that were both written by top tier law firms. One was 58 pages, one was 35 pages. The one that was 58 pages made zero sense to me after the first page. Um, the one that was 35 pages was slightly better. Um, So I brought it back to basics and I looked at the legislation and what the accreditation councils had to provide in terms of services. And I wrote a 14-page well-spaced contract Mm. and that was adopted by APRA as their standard form contract um, because it made sense, because it answered the, you know, it did exactly what they needed it to do and it didn't overcomplicate it. Um, And that's what we try and do with our clients. You know, what is the solution that you want to achieve? How can we do that in the simplest possible form? Um, And we have some clients where they say, I want you to do this as a one-pager. Now, that's a challenge. It's, Mm. you know, as a lawyer, even understanding their risk profile and, and knowing that they're prepared to take on certain risks, it's still hard to put a contract in one page. Uh, but we can do it for people and we do do it for people. Uh, and because it's very clear and straightforward for them, it works for them, mm. you know, and we haven't had any of those types of contracts fall apart or get challenged or anything like that. Um, And other contracts that we write for people just support them to be able to put them in a position where if they are challenged on a contract, because they understand it, because it's plain English, they can speak to people about it. Um, But generally, because they're so clear, it reduces the likelihood of there ever being a dispute. Mm. Um, So most of our clients don't get into disputes because people know what they're talking about and it's easy to deal with them. As you're talking, I'm going, oh, I might have to talk to you about a couple of my contracts. (laughs) (laughs) Delighted to help. (laughs) No worries. And uh, I know that your business um, is growing. Uh, Yes. So, you know, what what are your aspirations for the firm? Um, Where do you potentially see the business in, you know, five or ten years' time? Um, I would – I. I really want the business to grow so that it's not dependent on me. Mm. Um, It's – you know, I'm very conscious of the fact that we employ a number of other people and they are now dependent upon this organisation continuing. Mm-hmm. So it needs to have a life regardless of me being here or not. And that's what our focus is right now is how do we um, 
document all the systems and procedures? How do we document the way that I approach things and look at things to make sure people can adopt a similar process and be able to get similar results? Mm -hmm. um, how do we grow it so that the people bringing new business into the company it's not just me, it's someone else. So that if something happened to me, the business would continue. Uh, I envision that in, you know, five years time, the company will have 12 employees, mm -hmm. um, will be, um, you know, supporting more and more people all of the time, including, you know, as I said, we've got an international client base through some of the networks that we're involved in, um, as well as local and national um clients so it's it's growing the kind of business that we're offering now I can see there is a really great opportunity for us to work with people delivering education online um, because when we reviewed our sort of our, our top 10 clients um, most recently more than half of them are in the education space mm. um, and it's it's really exciting the kind of businesses that we deal with it's it's fascinating what people want to learn how they want to learn how education can be delivered um how international education can be all of those sorts of things so our focus and our drive now is is pushing more toward people providing education online uh you know in terms of specific niches we still support people who do business online and we still support people who don't do business online mm. but in terms of where we're going as a as a company into the future um people delivering education online is where we'd really like to position ourselves as as um a very strong advisor mm. and when you think about uh covid and people's inability to travel to education um which i don't foresee will change anytime soon and uh also it will become the new norm to consume your education uh, uh, online. That, from a, a growth trajectory point of view, you know, to couple yourself with a market that in itself is growing exponentially is uh, sounds like a very wise strategy. Thank you. Yeah, it's um, it it, you know, as with any business, you've got to constantly review and and look at where you're positioning yourself and what your prospects are and. Um, adapt and innovate uh, mm. and that's you know we try and sit down once a year and at least and go through well here's where we're at here's where we want to be at the end of the year what do we need to put in place to get there all of those sorts of things mm -hmm. um, and it's I'm very very open with the team so they at our Christmas party last year um, our office manager asked me so what's the big plans for the coming year? You know? <laughs> and it's great because they're so supportive and they're, they're engaged in the process of mm. helping us get to that point as well. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's, that's really good. Oh, it's awesome, Jeanette. And uh, you know, I know that also through our discussions over the years, uh, you're quite keen to, uh, to broaden out your board career as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I goal setting, um, uh, preferred reality, all of those sorts of things. I, I wrote down one of my goals uh, the other day, and that is by 2035 to be one of the Australia's top 20 board directors. Right. 
Um, so that's that's the big goal. Oh, that's a uh, that's a lofty aspiration, but definitely achievable. And uh, and so you know when we talk in champions for about preferred reality, and then well, what are the actions that I need to take in order to achieve that? How, how what how do you well, firstly, how would you measure? you know, being a top 20 and, uh, and, and, and what's that going to look like in terms of how are you going to build that out? Yes. Well, uh, part of the reason I said that is 2035 and not sooner is mm. the current projects I've got in um, the business at the moment. Uh, we're setting up a legal template business called Legal Easy, which is due to launch by the middle of the year. Um, I have a passion project that I want to do, which I estimate will take about three months of focused attention. Um, so, you know, I want to get those things off my plate before I really throw and, of course, have the business no longer dependent on me before mm. I jump out and focus more on boards. So it's all about managing time um, to make sure that I'm I have both the headspace and the time and the energy to mm -hmm. contribute appropriately. Mm -hmm. You know, from being chair of a board, I'm, I, I love chairing. I, my ambition would be to chair more than to be a board member. Mm -hmm. um, I like, I really enjoy the leadership perspective of it all. Um, but it requires, you need to be able to drop everything and focus on it when mm something goes wrong you need mm. you need that flexibility and at the moment I don't think it would be fair to all of the projects I have on track at the moment to take on board roles right now mm. but um, I'm certainly networking in the space I'm keeping my eyes open I'm very aware of the kind of businesses that I would like to work with and the emerging businesses that are coming um, and it's really looking at so where would I like to step into? Mm -hmm. um, and then making sure that I'm, you know, my perspective is I'm looking two years out from when I'm ready to really jump into that mm -hmm. uh, to start the whole networking process in earnest um, and get to know people and, and get to understand the companies that I'd like to work with. Um, and let people know that I'll be available. Um, <laughs> so if anybody's listening in and they go, oh, I wouldn't mind Jeanette being the chair of my board, you know, when are you available? Are we talking 2024 or...? Uh... Um, well, once um, once Legal Easy's launched, I think it's going to take a year to get that really bedded in and running because we're going to put in... Um, uh, a general manager or a project manager to really make that hum. Mm -hmm. um, and then I just want that three months to do that passion project because that'll be fun. Um, oh, maybe we'll need to do another podcast when you're ready to uh, uh, promote yourself in earnest. Uh, Absolutely. I'd be delighted. <laughs> there's been uh, quite a few people who have been on the podcast who have subsequently been offered board roles. So, uh, yeah, so somebody might be able to dangle a carrot in front of you that's uh, sexy enough to, uh, to catch your eye. <laughs> it's possible. It is possible. <laughs> awesome. And then uh, uh, we've spoken a lot about your business and your career and so on, but um, what, what do you do uh, outside of work to keep your uh, petrol tank full? Um, 
I love to read. I read a lot of science fiction and fantasy. I mean, we've spoken before about Patrick Rothfuss, which was one of the authors my son introduced me to recently. Yeah. And I absolutely love his writing. When's he um, writing the next book? It's he's been... writing it now, but, you know, uh, I read an interview with him recently where he was talking about the the way in which he crafts his writing mm. and why it takes so long. So I reckon it'll probably be another two years before that one's published. Right. Um, but uh, I also, I still swim. Mm -hmm. um, I went swimming this morning um, and I learned jujitsu. Mm. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm currently uh, practicing jujitsu three nights a week. Um, and that's very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I really, I, I like, I don't know, I like it. I enjoy it. I get a lot out of it. I get a lot of bruises out of it too, but, you know. Is that Brazilian <laughs> jiu-jitsu or? Uh, no. Uh, right. No, the traditional Japanese tra yeah. jiu-jitsu that comes I did, with samurai. Right. I did jiu-jitsu, uh, I think, after, when I was about eight until I was 10, and uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, those days are long behind me. When I turned 50, I thought, I know what I'm going to do to get fit. I'm going to do this uh, program called Wimp to Warrior, where you trained six days a week for I think twenty weeks, and then and then had a cage fight. And oh I, my gosh! And uh, I got about eight weeks through the program, and um, I injured doing Brazilian jiu jitsu. I injured my neck so badly that uh, yeah. uh, that was the end of that. And um, yeah, so uh, and I, you were a motorcyclist, but I don't think you were riding motorbikes anymore. <laughs> Uh, I I discovered I was riding a motorbike very regularly for a few years. And then um, just the last couple of years, it's sat in the garage for too long. So I sold right. my bike last September. But my husband still has a bike. So okay. um, it's not that I'm completely off motorbikes. It's just right. I less do a lot less riding. <laughs> so if uh, you're listening, I'm sure by now you're getting a sense that, you know, Jeanette's a bit of an adventurer. Uh, <laughs> You definitely, uh, you definitely like to uh, hang out on the fringe uh, with <laughs> like-minded people like me, huh? Absolutely. Uh, Why not? Life yeah. is about having fun. Absolutely. And look, before we wrap it up, I just, uh, you know, we first um, met, I think, through what was in the at the time called um, uh, Breakfast of Champions, now Champions Forum. Uh, I'd be interested in if you could just speak maybe for a couple of minutes and share your experience. Absolutely. Um, what I really enjoy about Breakfast of Champions or, or Champions Forum is it's the opportunity to take my thinking to a higher level. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to get bogged down in, you know, what needs to be done in the business that day, that um, the strategic thinking and the just different experiences. It's, it's, Champions Forum gives me the opportunity to learn from the benefit of other people's experience without me necessarily having to have that experience myself. Mm. And I always find it very, um, I always learn something through those experiences. So I come into those meetings um, wanting, you know, being engaged and, and being really intrigued by and interested in what other people are sharing um i don't always have a problem that i need resolved or something i need to be considered but it's surprising what comes up in the course of listening to other people share mm -hmm. and 
I learned something new and I've stayed involved and I've stayed committed to being involved in that process just because I come out of every meeting that we have so invigorated and with ideas on things that I can actually implement now either in my business or in my board role um, that it's just you know I, I can't imagine going back to trying to do business without it because it is just shifting to a different level. And it's really, it it's, you know, when you run a business, you don't necessarily speak to other business owners all of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all have very similar experiences, regardless of the size of the business. And we all have similar challenges and we all cope with things in different ways. And it's great to hear how different people cope with different things and the suggestions like the brain's trust involved in those meetings is Mm. phenomenal Um, because there's such a diversity of thought which is you know all about building diversity in boards as well is you need that diversity of thought to help Mm. you look to the future um, and implement new things and innovate and that kind of thing so that's excellent and and certainly you know, over the four years that we've known each other, both of our businesses have, uh, you know, grown and changed substantively. So it's been a, yes. it's been a wonderful experience. Uh, and like you, you know, I, whilst I chair, um, uh, I also learn so much uh, from the people participating. Maybe when uh, you eventually have some time, uh, I can uh, twist your arm and you can chair some meetings. Oh, look, I'd actually really enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think you'd be awesome at it. Thank you. <laughs> so anyway, uh, food for thought. Well, look, Jeanette, uh, it's been great to chat to you and uh, I'm sure people will have really enjoyed listening to your story and, uh, you know, what a dynamic and, uh, uh, you know, take no prisoners kind of uh, person <laughs> you are. So uh, if anybody's interested in um, reaching out to Jeanette, uh, we'll have uh, her LinkedIn profile in the show notes. And, um, and uh, in the meantime, good luck with everything. And I look forward to catching up with you at Champions Forum and have a fantastic afternoon. Thank you very much, Richard. Great. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Arate Podcast with Richard Treeks. For show notes and other resources, please visit aratepodcast.com. While you are there, you can subscribe for future episodes so you can continue your own journey towards realizing your full potential as a senior executive. And please be sure to share this and other episodes with your friends and colleagues. The Arate Podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air Podcast Network.